This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly sponsored by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. As a city supporter, we know you value delivery, and McDelivery is up there with the very best. You'll always be winning with McDelivery because just like Kevin De Bruyne, McDelivery puts your order right on a plate. So the only thing left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get rewards points delivered as well. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for you tomorrow. Only via the app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Manchester United 1, Manchester City 6, it's 2 for Dzeko. Tottenham Hotspur 3, Manchester City 4. They have made the impossible possible. Hello everybody and welcome back to the City Report podcast. I am Amos Murphy. And I'm Adam Booker. It's good to be back, Adam. Obviously, it's been a, a couple of weeks since we've done an episode like this. How's your? How's the last few few days in the world of Adam Booker been? It has been good as usual. Um, part of me is happy that regular football is back. I don't really like international breaks, even when they have big uh, World Cup qualifying matches in them. I just get bored pretty quickly. Um, but part of me is scared and doesn't want any of these football games to be played. <laughs> It was weird, wasn't it? Because I've got no scientific evidence to back this up, but it really felt that last international break was the longest in in the history. And to be honest, I didn't mind it as such because it, it did offer a sort of uh, a bit of a detox and a, you could take stock. And I had some lovely walks. The sun was shining here in Manchester and, and my mental state was superb. And then around two o'clock on Saturday afternoon when club football returns and suddenly my heart rate is like, boom, 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 boom. Um, but we'll get to that just a, just a little bit before we get going. If you can possibly leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, if that's where you're listening along, that will be fantastic. Anywhere else you listen on whatever podcast platform if you could follow us and also leave a rating we would adore you so much we may even send out personalized letters where we can uh, write you a love letter and you can we can show you how much we'd love that um also follow us on twitter if you can if, if you want to have our hot takes in word format and tiktok as well if you're of that newfangled generation who are who are on that on that unspoken app we uh, we clip some of this stuff up and, and chuck it on there and and some of the responses have been fun, haven't they? they? They've really made us giggle. That's where we get the most heated debates, I'd say, on TikTok. As a TikTok user myself, that's where I'm the most unfiltered in all of my opinions, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah, 
Yeah, it's like it's just like pub chat, but in sort of like seven, eight second audio format or, or visual format as well. Um, couple more things. Ramadan Mubarak to all of the listeners that are celebrating. We hope you have a fantastic period and all the best for the celebrations. And last one, go back and listen to the kit special we had with the Main Road Ramble lads if you haven't already. Obviously, that isn't really time specific. We, uh, Adam and I, and Joe and Andrew from the Main Road Ramble, we go through our favourite and our least favourite kits from the last 20 or so years of Manchester City kits. And it was really fun. It was great to speak to them. So, yeah, go and listen to that if you can. Before we get into the City stuff then, just a little bit of World Cup draw reaction because the footballing gods, as it goes, have placed England and the US in the same group. And some outlets are here are dubbing it as the City Report derby already. And I've actually just found out the schedule has been announced that it's uh, it's going to be 7pm UK time on a Friday. Initial reactions to that draw, Adam, because I think the US are, are fair to say going in as huge underdogs. I don't know about that, but uh, it could have been it could have been much worse from a US perspective. It could have been slightly better. Uh, I think there was better teams in every pot that that could have been drawn. And uh, I think it's a decent draw. I think on paper, it'll come down to the US probably battling out the other UEFA team for second place. Um, But I think the more fun element of the group is there's a lot of geopolitical stories in every Mm. single game. So that should be fun. Yeah, the uh, opinion columnists are going to have fun with that. It's, it's great, actually. We've had the like, last 18 months or so of, of people screaming and shouting that politics doesn't belong anywhere near football and get politics out of our game. And then suddenly, Jermaine Genus, of all people, heads a draw where uh, where the England, the US, Iran and, and one of Scotland, Wales or Ukraine will uh, will jump in and, and we'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll play in the World Cup. So it's a, a crazy one there. And yeah, yeah, really looking forward to that one. Should be great. Um, let's talk Manchester City then, because there have been two matches since we last met and, and spoke together. So uh, we'll keep it short and sweet with the first one. But Burnley nil, City 2. That was on Saturday afternoon in the first game after the international break. It really did feel like the calm before the storm, that match, didn't it? And, you know, the the only sort of way City were going to have any sort of positivity coming out of it was with a win. Were there any sort of major takeaways you thought from that game or was it just a mandatory run-of-the-mill victory? Not really any huge takeaways. I think, you know, heading into the game, there was a slight bit of pressure on the team just with Liverpool winning their game earlier in the day and and going top for the moment. Um, But once we saw City take an early lead, you kind of knew that, that Burnley didn't have what it wa- what they needed to fight back. Um, I think my biggest takeaway was Raheem Sterling playing out on the right. He was man of the match for me. He might have even been man of the match officially. Um, he seems to be far more dangerous that on that right wing, and um, I think he provided both the assists for for Kevin De Bruyne and Ilkay Gundogan. And look, it was a professional performance. It was kind of the the game that we just needed to get past as we looked ahead to some of the bigger games that we'll obviously talk about later in this show. Um, but it was a professional performance, didn't have to exert too much energy to do it. And and I thought it was an all around perfect day. 
Yeah, it was. Even though City took the three points, for me, it was a game that City couldn't really win, whatever the result was, purely because with Liverpool, like you say, winning um, in the twelve thirty game just beforehand, they went top of the league. All City could really do was restore the status quo with a victory and, and go into that Liverpool game on Sunday as it was basically. So yeah, two 0 victory about as as comfortable as it could have been in the first half. Second half was just about seeing the game out, rotating, keeping players' legs fresh for which will come on to immediately. Manchester City won Atletico Madrid nil in the first leg of the Champions League quarterfinal at the Etihad Stadium. Let's kick it off with some stats then because this is this is rather astonishing. Um, City had 70% possession compared to Atletico's 30. City had 15 shots compared to Atletico's zero. And that since game-by-game data was available for the Champions League matches, which I think was the 2003-04 season, only four teams have registered zero shots on target during a match. Interestingly enough, Pep Guardiola was the opposition manager for three of those games, so it's another tick in his box for all the uh, for all the overthinking critics uh, heading into the game. And it was actually the first time under Diego Simeone, Atletico didn't register a shot during the game. There's some absolutely mind blowing stats there, but who's really surprised? It's exactly what we expected from Atleti, and boy, did they deliver! Yeah, it was exactly what we expected. Like you said, um, I think. I may be heading into the game expected Atleti to be a bit more expansive, especially after watching them against United in the round of 16. Um, But obviously you can't really compare playing against United to playing against City. City will certainly make it much more difficult to play out of your own half when you win the ball. Um, But if you've watched Atleti play in La Liga at all this year, this isn't necessarily the same Atleti we've seen in in years Mm. past. They have been more expansive. They're I don't even think they're in the top eight best defenses in the league, and they're actually in the top three or four in goals scored. So they have been more expansive at times, but you know, a Leopard really doesn't ever change their spots, and, and Diego Simeone coming into a game where City was expected to have more of the ball, he kind of always thought it would go this way. Um, they played a 5-5 for most of the game. I think Kevin De Bruyne mentioned in, in the postgame mm. saying, I'd never seen a team play a 5-5 before. <laughs> um, well, you're going to see it again next week, Kevin. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I, it really angered some people that as well, didn't it? I don't know if you saw Koke's response, but he, I think he talked to Instagram saying he quoted it and going talking about some sort of history and how we've played, blah, blah, blah. But it really, like, they, they were not happy with this sort of brandishing it as anti football, which I found, found a bit bizarre because we all saw the same game and they played the same game. I think I'm going to take maybe the minority's opinion here. I don't care how you play. Genuinely, if you yeah, play no, if I you play a five five, that's the way you want to play, and you get results. Which look, they didn't get the result in this game, but look at the look at their track record on Diego Simeone: multiple Champions League final yeah. appearances, La Liga titles, Copa del Reyes. Like it's worked for them, so why change it? I look, this may be kind of an American outlook on it. I don't know. I I don't really care about being entertained when I'm watching football. All I want is my team to win. Um, I think as a neutral, obviously, games like that are hard to watch. But if it, if the coin was was flipped and it was City playing like that and and they got a result, I'm not going to complain about how they got the result. Um, so, you know... I guess the counter-argument to that, though, is that you we, we watched the game and, and there were spells, and I think you mentioned it yourself, that you know this season Atletico have been expansive at times and they have been able to play some pretty mind-blowing football if you look at some of the goal compilations from this season it's superb and you look at the players they have on paper and 
they could they could threaten City. I think the one thing prohibiting them from doing that was they're playing out from the back because multiple times, either from Jan Oblak or, or any of the defenders, they try to switch the play or they try to sort of go a diagonal ball and it, it just sort of limped out of play. It was, it, was pretty, it was pretty tough at times. But there were moments where they interchanged really well and City going to allow that space behind. So, you know, it, it's not necessarily a free hit because you could get your, your sort of backside handed to you. But I, I do believe that if Atleti wanted to come away from the Etihad with a goal, there was an option for them to do that. But zero shots is like, for example, like Burnley and Leeds have come to the Etihad this season and, and sort of put up more of a fight. I think that's where you get a bit frustrated is it's somewhat understandable when teams with much less talent, much smaller budgets come to the Etihad or even at home will kind of play you know, uh, put every everybody behind the ball when City have the ball. Um, but Atleti have spent, you know, this, co- this squad costs half a billion pounds. Diego Simeone, I'm pretty sure, is the highest paid manager in Europe. Maybe Mourinho's new contract on, at Roma is, is higher than that. But I'm pretty sure he's the highest paid manager in Europe. Um, <clears throat> but like I said, he's gotten results. I think the frustrating part is the fact that they, they do have some immensely talented attacking players. And look, if I, from a city point of view, if they had been a lot more expansive and they really were trying to hit on the break with Renan Lodi, Joao Felix, Antoine Griezmann, Marcus Lorente, I would be worried because City will be vulnerable against players of that ilk. But they didn't really uh, have any ambition to do that, and I think you got to be happy about that from a city perspective. And and we got the result in the end, and that's really all that matters. I guess the count, uh, the sort of the other side of the coin is a completely different sort of way of looking at it, but a same similar concept is that we we've spoke on here before about how City play football and how at times it can be quite robotic and the criticisms Pep Guardiola and City have faced because of that and the sort of answer to that is well City don't owe you pretty exciting open football and like I said it's completely the other side of the spectrum if you're looking at it from left to right you've got City on one side and Atleti on the other side I mean I've never watched Star Wars but it did feel like Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker coming head to head in the Champions League knockout game but we've we've defended sort of not less entertaining but not exactly uh, sort of uh, heavy metal football before so to sort of then say to another side that you know you have to play this way or you know the expectations of you to play this way um just are completely different it would be slightly hypocritical but um let's jump on to some of the individual performances then because it felt like for a long time City weren't going to be able to find a way through and inside the stadium it was the frustration was just building and building and building and what started off as a really sort of electric atmosphere at points in the first half as we sort of got in into midway through the second it just went a little bit flat and you started hearing the away support a little bit more and they were getting behind the team and it and it, it had nil nil all over it to use that cliche but De Bruyne's goal 20 minutes from time separating the two sides and you and I spoke uh, when the team news dropped actually about how we thought there was something missing from this team and and how it looked a little bit one dimensional and it turns out something the something that was missing was Phil Foden because when he was introduced DMA he, he just completely tore Atleti a new one didn't he and he, he found the way through and it was with that amazing dribble and the pass that got De Bruyne through. Yeah, and I think before I get on to Phil Foden, what you mentioned about the atmosphere and the kind of growing frustration in the ground, I think our little group chat was uh, a microcosm of that because I'd have to go back and look (laughs) at the timestamps. But I think maybe on like the seven or eight minute mark, I had had texted uh, our group chat saying, 
I like I like this. I like the way City are playing. They were kind of buzzing on the edge of the athletic yeah. box and, and looked a bit threatening. And then about 35 minutes in, I texted and I said, I really don't like this. I'm not enjoying yeah, this at all. Yeah. yeah, it was painful, wasn't yeah. it, at the time? Um, but yeah, on, on to Phil Foden. I mean, look, it was a superb goal. It was a visionary pass to, to pick out De Bruyne and a perfect finish. <laughs> I, I thought the substitutions that Pep Guardiola made were perfect in general. Um, yeah, yeah. That starting 11 was always going to pass Atletico to death. I think when you see all of the four um, kind of big time midfielders in this city team, Rodri, De Bruyne, Gundogan, Bernardo, when they're all in the lineup together, that means it's going to be uber controlled. They're going to pass the ball around in circles. They're going to probe. They're going to probe. They're going to pass. They're going to probe. Um, and, you know, you pass that buddy to death for, for 70 minutes. You kind of essentially make them do the bleep test from touchline to touchline. <laughs> and then and then you bring on energetic players like Gabriel Jesus, Phil Foden, Jack Grealish, and, and it worked. I think I think uh, the goal came within two minutes of, of the substitutions being made. So, you know, yeah. people have, have criticized Guardiola in the, in the past for his substitutions or, or lack thereof, but I think he got this spot on. Yeah, definitely. It's only a few weeks ago, isn't it, that we were speaking about how Guardiola making no substitutions at Palace was, was it the right idea? You know, did he need to change the game? And we sort of came to the conclusion that no, the, the team that was on the pitch at the time probably was the right one. But it, it definitely felt like the, the starting eleven had run its course yesterday. And I tweeted at half time um, something along the lines of City break a line with a pass challenge because it felt when the City were doing the probing and and granted, you know, the gaps were were almost non-existent at times but when they did a slight little glimmer of hope popped through it seemed like those midfielders were just unable to slot it through which is something we don't really associate with City you know the intricacy is is um, something that's always there but on Foden I guess we're on a podcast that doesn't necessarily um, hold back on the reactionary takes but there has been a little bit of conversation online about certain comparisons to an ex-Barcelona and multiple Ballon d'Or winning maestro in Lionel Messi. If you look at the stills from just before the goal when he receives the ball and he's crowded by players and the fact that he can create space for himself there. Now, I am not saying Phil Foden (coughs) is going to be anywhere near the talent of Lionel Messi, but, you know, we'll wait and see. But there definitely was, um, there there definitely were little comparisons, weren't there? And the way he moves with the ball and he comes, he drifts in and he he, he caused so many problems for a a back line who looked as if at one point they could have gone for hours and hours and hours without even conceding a shot on target at times. I think the only other player in a city kit in my lifetime that I've seen be able to kind of come out. It's almost like there's like a cartoon tornado and there's like all this dust is kicked up and you can't see anything. And then like all of a sudden something will emerge. It's always Phil Foden emerging from that little like cloud of people. The only other player I've seen do that on a consistent basis is probably Bernardo Silva this season, maybe some, Mm. some David Silva in his time. Um, but the way that he seems to have the ball just glued to his feet. I mean, there was that that uh, little moment of dribbling he had on the touchline that I think should have been a second oh. goal. That like, oh, that was it looked fake. If you go back and watch it, it looks completely fake, as if the ball is literally just velcroed to his boot and he's just running around waving his foot in circles. But the ball is just yeah. it's stuck to him. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, look, if he keeps this up, 
he's he's going to easily go down as the most talented player to ever play for City in in ten years time, whatever it is. And you make comparisons to Messi. I'm not willing to make comparisons to him on the field, but if he plays for City for all of his career or, or ten more years or whatever, I mean, he's going to be the club's Messi. Yeah. Well, you mentioned um, ten years time and, and what could come down the line. It's crazy to think he'll only be 31 in, in 10 years' time. Now, granted, he's, his birthday, he, he will be 22 come the end of the season and the start of next season. But he has... It, the, the thing with Foden for me is that you look at him and you think he's got levels to go and then he's got levels to go after that and then he's got levels to go after that. I think there's only a few players in world football and you think of perhaps Pedri in that list or Mbappe and, and even Erling Haaland where their potential isn't even in sight and you don't know where they will be able to stop come their end of their career because there are just unbelievable supreme talents and how lucky we are to have him as a footballer and how lucky we are to have a squad that he can just sort of... Uh, sort of amble his way onto the pitch with 20 minutes to play and light it up as he did. Um, go from back to front then, because uh, De Bruyne got man of the match, the official UEFA man of the match, but I think potentially there could have been a shout for a different footballer, a left-footed footballer in, in the shape of Nathan Ake. We mentioned Burnley at the top there, and he, he was obviously there playing as a centre-half, a two left-footed centre-halves with Laporte, which is always a little difficult conundrum to come out of, but he did superbly. He made another start again against Atletico, this time on the left-hand side of defence as a sort of unorthodox fullback. And it's actually the first time since New Year's Day Nathan Ake has started back-to-back games for City. And for me, I thought he did absolutely superb. It isn't the sort of game where a defender is traditionally going to be asked to defend. There's one moment early in the first half where he had to do a sort of, almost from a standing position, a sort of 50-metre sprint to deny a, a counter-attack that could have easily, you know, if Atleti score in the, inside the first 10 minutes, to met, uh, excuse me, if Atleti score in the first 10 minutes, dear me, you thought the, the, the other game, the rest of the game was poor. How would it have been then? And uh, it, it's just so important, isn't it, to have a player who is able to plug and play wherever asked and, and perform like he did yeah look I think he's been incredible this season I, I I put out on Twitter after the Burnley game that I think he's criminally underrated by the city fans um I think he, he got the short end of the stick early on in his career at the club because whenever he played he had Eric Garcia on one side of him and Benjamin Mendy on the other side of him you stick Ruben Diaz yeah, in there and yeah. he's going to get found out as well because they're going to be on an island um, yeah. But when you put him into you know the kind of real starting eleven, you see just how good of a player he is. And, and we saw it at Bournemouth. I was a fan of him at Bournemouth before he was ever even on City's radar. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But in, in games like yesterday, especially when you see how versatile he is, he can play at left back, he can play as center back. I know he's obviously not going to be the same kind of uh, attacking spark plug as, as Jao Cancelo is down that side or even uh, Alex Zinchenko. But he's still very good on the ball, very composed. He doesn't give the ball away. He doesn't make mistakes. And like you said, in in tricky one-on-one defensive moments, he is up there with John Stones and Ruben Diaz as far yeah, as dealing yeah. with them in a kind of composed manner. And and you can see why City spent 40-odd million pounds on him. Yeah, and he, that, that £40 million price tag often goes against him, doesn't it? And, you know, how can people pay £40 million for this, blah, blah, blah. He, he doesn't set the price tag. It's not like he goes, you know what, if you want me to come to you, you have to pay this club X amount of money. It's funny you mentioned there the little um, little sort of runs he had up and down the pitch because as, as good as he was, there were a few times I thought 
at times he looked like a, a sort of house cat in trying to be a, a tiger in the sense that he, he just like remember that you are a, a centre half playing left back at times. But I think other than that, his his performance was absolutely flawless and. Um, it presents a headache, doesn't it, going into the next leg? Because obviously Kyle Walker comes back from his suspension, which, touch wood, City seems to have come out of that unscathed. And considering the sort of hysteria surrounding it when it was announced that he was going to be out for the for the round of 16 and any potential quarter-final first leg, it seems as though City has sort of been able to weather that storm quite well. And, and you know, he, he staked his claim. It's unlikely we'll see him in the team for the Liverpool game, I think, but he's definitely made... Definitely made a, a Guardiola have a headache. Um, before we move on from Atleti, let, let's speak about one man who had an interesting cameo, and that's Jack Grealish. He was subbed on in the 68th minute. He played 22 minutes against Atletico and was fouled five times, the most of any player that was on the pitch for the full 90 minutes. Were the Atletico hard man just jealous of his new Gucci contract, do you think? Because they just would not leave him alone. Yeah, they must have been. Uh, I think it was kind of the perfect <laughs> storm for Grealish to get kicked around. Yeah, you know, yeah. Atleti had, had just And gone. he'd have loved it, wouldn't he? He'd have yeah. absolutely loved that. He'd have he'd got in the changing room and he'd have been buzzing that he'd been booted five times. Yeah, Atleti went down uh, 1-0. Instead of trying to equalize, it looked like their mission was kind of just to get a City player sent off. And in a way, you could say it kind of worked uh, with Gabriel Jesus picking up a second yellow card and, and picking up a second leg mm. suspension. Um, and I know that wasn't necessarily of any of the, the Atletico players doing, but it was, you know, born out of frustration and, and Atletico are a team that are going to get under your skin and they're going to frustrate you over the 90 minutes. Um, but as far as Grealish goes, you know, you saw, I think it was uh, Stefan Savage and, and Simi Versailco like messing with yeah. his hair. And I'm sure they were yeah. saying something to him in a, in a language yeah. that Jack doesn't understand. Um, and, and Jack was just kind of laughing and, and saying things, you know, under his hands that the cameras couldn't pick yeah. it up. And I look, I think that Jack Grealish, when he had signed his city contract six or seven months ago, whenever it was, he would have been dreaming of this exact moment playing the Spanish champions at home in front of a sellout crowd mm. on a Champions League night, you know, fighting for your place in, in a Champions League semifinal. This this probably was a dream come true moment. I'm, I'm sure it. It clicked for him when he scored that superb goal, and I think it was his Champions League debut against RB Leipzig earlier in the yeah, season. Yeah. Um, and you know, this is just another huge step for him. And, and I would say that this this had to be the kind of moment he was absolutely looking for. And he came on, didn't do that much with the ball at his feet, but still, he was kind of the talking point at the end of the game. Yeah, and like I said, he'd, he'd have absolutely loved it. And uh, I can't remember who it was who tweeted out, um, so forgive me, but somebody somebody mentioned that if I was those two defenders for Atletico and I got that close to Jack Grealish, then I'd, I'd probably want to stroke him there too <laughs> because th- th- those locks were looking mighty fine last night. And uh, we'll wait and see what the Gucci cron- contract brings. Maybe he'll be turning up in, uh, in the Gucci headband. Uh, that, that'd be fun, wouldn't it? But could you imagine what it'd have been like last season in the second leg against PSG when, when PSG really did lose their heads if Jack Grealish had come on in that game I think we'd have probably seen the game abandoned wouldn't we there'd have just been that many sending off and Herrera would have come off the bench to probably <laughs> clatter him but um but yeah second leg to come um that's just one of the the sort of mad mad run of games City have got and, and the next on that list it doesn't get any easier at all it's Liverpool at home 
in the grand scheme of things then, um, I thought it was probably a really important victory for City to get because nil-nil for me would have felt like a little bit of a defeat given the way the pattern of the game went and given the way everything else worked out. I think one nil or 2 nil defeat would have felt it would have been crushing. But to go into that game against Liverpool, even though City had by no means sort of done and dusted with this tie at all, it, it's almost back where we started considering we've got to go to the Wanda Metropolitano. But to have that confidence boost heading into the weekend, breaking down probably the toughest defence in Europe, you know, not necessarily statistically, but on the night in a game, you know, nobody wants to play Atletico in a knockout game. Um, So to get that victory would have really put City on the back foot uh, heading into the game in the league against Liverpool. So how do you see the approach being going into that game? Because the, I think it's fair to say there was some rotation in the side with with a one eye on Liverpool and making sure the plays were fresh enough so that it could be two strong lineups instead of one really strong and one slightly rotated. Do you see any sort of major changes or do you think it's just going to be pretty much much the same and, and City are going to be asked to do exactly what they would do, uh, exactly what they did against Atletico, but having to defend a whole lot more? I think we'll probably see more of what we've become accustomed to as the the regular starting 11, which is probably um, going to be Kyle Walker, Laporte, Stones, Cancelo, Rodri, De Bruyne, Bernardo, and then a front three of Mares, Foden, and either Grealish or Sterling. Maybe Grealish based on the fact that he didn't start against Atleti. Um, mm. <clears throat> whereas you could see that, that City went for a more controlled approach against Atletico. That might have been in kind of a subconscious way to conserve energy instead of, you know, putting your really high energy players out there. Um, I wonder if Gabriel Jesus's second leg suspension throws a spanner in the works of, of the team sheet this weekend, given that he's not a player that you can now use on Tuesday or Wednesday, whatever day it is of next week. Um, But uh, I said this on the last episode when we, when we spoke about how we think Pep is going to deal with the, the rotation that, I thought we would see close to, if not the best 11 against Atleti, and I think we probably got that, and we'll probably see the same against Liverpool. Um, you know, you had mentioned uh, off-air that that City don't necessarily need to win this game, but one thing is for certain, Guardiola will not be relaying the message, yeah. we don't really need yeah. to win this to his players. You know, they will relish the opportunity to to go out there, extend their lead at the top, and show why City are the big boys in this country at the time. Um, and yeah, I think we'll probably see as, as close to this, this starting eleven as you can see. What if he's taken notes off Simeone ball and he, he sets up on Sunday afternoon at half four whenever the kickoff is and, and all we see is just six plays inside the box and it's like, okay, Liverpool, here you go. You know, we, we, we've done it. We broke it down in the week. Now you come and do it to us. But, uh, but yeah, I think it's spot on there. The, the sort of the temptation of a victory and, and what would 100% be a statement victory would end Liverpool's momentum and it would really sort of, it, it put a massive gap in between City and Liverpool in the context of things. I think Guardiola will be salivating over that. I think he really will. That, that, and whether or not it's a carrot sort of dangled in front of him and, you know, given his comments in the week about overthinking and stuff. And I guess we can have a word on that as well. But it really will be. It, I think he's. I think if, if you pet Guardiola right now, you probably didn't sleep last night because you're already looking at that Liverpool game. And I'm sure he's probably watched the 90 minutes against uh, Benfica that Liverpool played. And I think one <clears> important <throat> thing to note is that Liverpool are probably through to the semi-finals already. Their return leg on Wednesday 
isn't as consequential and they could get away with resting plays in that game ahead of, again, another Liverpool City game and also this Sunday one as well. So there, there really are sort of loads of different permutations heading into it. Obviously, the City one is... Uh, the city victory is is massive for city they go into it as leaders and we know that what what that will mean but let's speak about the unthinkable for a second then and and what do you think it will mean if liverpool was going to come to the etihad and get three points in terms of the context of the title race i've already said that i think if liverpool overtakes city in the in the title race on even games that it may be too much of a mental blow um I don't want to, you know, fail to give credit to this city team who have shown in numerous seasons that they have the mental fortitude to deal with adversity late in the season, whether that's <clears throat> adversity in um, micro moments in games like the Leicester game where they, they pull a goal out of nowhere, um, or whether it's, you know, Burnley in the 2018-19 run-in um, going 1-0 down at Brighton. You know, they, they've shown that they will get through and and do whatever it takes in these these kind of crucial title races. Um, But City have never been in a position, at least this City team has never been in a position where they have had a healthy lead in the title race. I think at its peak was something like 10 or 11 points um, and dropped a few games. Liverpool went on a City-esque run, caught up with them, and, and I don't think we've ever seen City have to deal with something like that. They could deal with it totally fine. Um, I still think that Liverpool have dropped points in them somewhere along the line this season. I think they still have some big games yet to come. They've got Tottenham, United, Everton, which you know United and Everton aren't great teams on paper, but they're huge gains from an emotional point of view. And we can see some wacky things happen, especially in that Merseyside Derby. I can't remember the last Merseyside Derby that I watched that didn't have some sort of drama in it. Um, mm. So look, anything could still, still yet to happen. Um, but I do think it's a huge blow if city lose this game, especially at home um, and, and Liverpool overtake them in the title race. I'm going to disagree. I, I don't see why Liverpool drop points after City, unless the the really suffer a big blow against City. You, you mentioned United, Everton, and Tottenham. That I, I would agree, but they're all at home, and I think for Liverpool playing at home in a title race, that is heading into it. It's as good as three points. I think that back to back game against Liverpool against United and Everton, you know, on paper has potential to sort of throw up. Um, uh, you know, a, a difficult result here and there, but I, I believe that would possibly come in between a, a Champions League semi final. I'm not, I'm not too sure. I'd have to check the schedule, but I, I think the best part and the worst part about this game against Liverpool in the league is the fact that whatever the result is, the title will still remain undecided. And I know I've just mentioned there that Liverpool don't drop points. I, I truly believe that, but that's probably just a pessimistic view. But if City win on Sunday, there's still every chance Liverpool can win the league. If Liverpool win on Sunday, there's still every chance City can win the league. And even though it's being billed as the sort of the game of the century and you know definitely the game of the season, I think it's important to maybe go into it understanding that it isn't two games out from the end of the campaign. And you know if if it was, then fair enough, you, you hold your hands up. But it would take a mighty effort. But I, I don't necessarily think it's 
as consequential as perhaps some are <clears throat> speaking about? Is that me just being a little bit naive and, and you know, do the winners of that essentially their names on the title or, or is there more complexities to it? No, that's totally fair. I mean, let's, I think no matter what the result, the title race is essentially back at square one with the run-in that, that both teams have, the, the pressure that's going to be on every single game from here on out. And let's not forget that there will be teams in in each of City and Liverpool's run-ins that will have huge things to pay to play for. West Ham may be, mm. may be scrapping for a European place. Um, Everton might be fighting for their lives uh, yeah. In, yeah. in a relegation battle. So there's always room for drama. The only thing that would kind of put you off thinking there's going to be any sort of drama is looking back at the only other the only other season we can compare to this one, which is 2018-19, and neither City nor Liverpool won, uh, lost any games in what was it, the final like nine games of the season, something like that. Yeah. Um, the one result that I think does shape things a little bit is if City win and they go four points clear in the title race, then they need to drop points twice, and that yeah, does agree, that yeah, does make a big difference for me because I think at this this stage in the season. When City drop points, it's a, it's a rocket up the ass of the team, and they don't really do it more than once. Um, so that's the only result where I think it it does swing things a little bit. But a Liverpool win or a, or a draw, I, I think it's essentially just back at square one, and we do it again next week. It'd be astonishing, I reckon, considering, and I put this in sort of quotation marks, City's bad run of form, which has still only yielded one defeat since the beginning of, what was it, the beginning of November and dropped, what, a handful of points. Um, it's, it would be remarkable, I think, if City head into the final seven, six, five games of the season with a four-point lead. That, that'd that be that'd be pretty seismic, and, and I agree that's probably the only one that can really... That that really sort of edges it one way. Um, in terms of the the only other possible result, we've not really spoken about then, and I'm not quite sure where I sit on this yet. But would you take a draw, and would you sort of say like, would you would you deal the hand and then go, you know what, forget it. We'll we'll head into the last seven games or whatever, and you know we'll keep ourselves to ourselves. I have a team, keep ourselves to ourselves, and then you know it's the onus is on yourself to do the do the business as opposed to sort of uh, getting that getting that statement win uh, either for City or for Liverpool. I think looking at this from an emotional point of view, I w- I would not take a draw right now because. I think City obviously have more than enough to win the game. Um, but on Sunday morning, if you call me on WhatsApp and say, hey, Adam, would you take a draw? And I'm nervously puking into the, the toilet, <laughs> then I would say, yes, please just give me a draw. Um, but look, City have more than enough to win the game. They're going to play to win the game. They're going to want to win the game. And think back, just just think about this club in this modern era in games like this. The Derby at home in, in 2012, huge 1-0 victory. Yeah. Um, Leicester, Vincent Company's goal. Earlier in that season, City could possibly go 10 points behind Liverpool in the title race. They they win 2-1 at home against a, a very good Liverpool team, probably the hottest team in, in Europe at the time. City had just dropped points. I think it was at Newcastle, um, yeah, and yeah. they pulled that victory out of a hat. So this team in recent years has shown so much mental fortitude in these situations that 
I don't think they're going to be looking at this game with any sort of fear. I think Kevin De Bruyne, Bernardo Silva, Raheem Sterling, guys like this that have been in this position numerous times are going to be like, this is a game that we can win and we're going to go out there and win the game. I don't think they're going to be thinking of what happens if we draw, what happens if we lose. They're not They're not going to be looking further down the calendar like we are. Um, so I think, in all honesty, I wouldn't take a draw. I, I, I think... I, after thinking about it the last 45 <laughs> seconds, I wouldn't take a draw. I'm, gonna, I'm sure I'm going to flip-flop a million times. But yeah. like I said, City City have the best team they've ever compiled in the history of the club. Go out and win the game. Put yourself four points clear. Just to wrap up the Liverpool talk then um, for part one of the two-part series that is coming up because I'm already sort of jittering and shaking and working myself into a frenzy at the thought of Sunday's game and we're what at the point of recording four days away um just to wrap it up then the one thing that I'm really not ready for and I don't want to sort of come across as a Liverpool apologist here because it goes without saying which of the two teams I'm uh, uh, sort of siding with and, and which the two teams I think is superior but I'm really not ready for the sort of inevitable chat of X team bottled the league if the other one wins it and I think obviously you mentioned there the points gap that City had but important to note there Liverpool had two games in hand on, on City at their peak I think it was at the Chelsea game City went 14 points clear Liverpool played the next day so the sort of the the discourse that's already flowing about about how City have you know biggest points tally that's dropped in, in the middle of a Premier League season blah 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 City have dropped seven points on Liverpool since uh, the beginning of November. That is a, a, like abnormal sort of uh, s- sort of behaviour. So to sort of go on a run where you only drop seven points on your on your title rivals is astonishing. And you know it could end up that that Liverpool end up winning the league. And if they do, hats off because if you're beating Manchester City to the league title, then you've done a good job. And similarly for City, if they end up winning the league and you beat Liverpool to it, you've done a good job. I just think there needs to some, and this may be a coping mechanism for me. I'm happy to take it on that, but there just needs to sort of be a little bit of a step back and go, okay, these two teams are incredible. And if it is to be disappointment for City, then I would rather lose it in this manner, I think, against the team that is, you know, up there with the best in Europe, as opposed to sort of throwing it away themselves, I, I guess. And, and you know, who knows? Fast forward a week's time and City have won, then we could be we could be playing a completely different tune. But I don't know if you've anything to add on the on the Liverpool game, Adam, but it, 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 the, the sort of everything going around the head at the moment, it just seems like an absolute minefield. Look, if City lose this game and Liverpool go on and win the title, City could still essentially finish with 94 points in the league this season. Yeah, you, yeah. you cannot say that a team that finishes with 94 points in a league season but didn't win the title bottled the title. It's one thing if they had a 25-point lead and Liverpool win. Even even if that, even if Liverpool win 20 games in a row, whatever, that has nothing to do with what City have done because City have still put together an incredible season. Um, Mm. And if Liverpool come back and win this title, then... All of the credit goes to Liverpool, and there doesn't need to be any discrediting of what City have done. It, it There only needs to be a positive outlook on this season. I think no matter what happens, whether it's City win the title with you know 97 points and Liverpool finish on 93 or whatever, there doesn't need to be a, a negative outlook on either of these two teams. There doesn't need to be a pointing out of Liverpool's failings and City's successes or yeah, vice yeah. versa. Because 
Both teams are incredible football teams. They are, in my opinion, the two best teams of the Premier League era at this point, especially if Liverpool Agreed. go on to a Champions League final and uh, and you know City do the same, then they just are the two best teams of the Premier League era. There is absolutely no reason from a neutral point of view to point out anything negative about this season for either of those two teams. There's no point in going back to December and saying, oh, what if they had, had won that instead of drawn? Their teams, both teams are going to finish with 90 plus points. Nobody in Liverpool is looking back at 2018-19 when they finished on 97 points and didn't win the league and thought, oh, we could have done more. No, you couldn't have. No, you mm, couldn't have. No, no. That, that's just, yeah, that's just the way it is. Yeah, yeah. I think for me, Liverpool versus Manchester City is as close to Barcelona versus Real Madrid from the sort of early 2010s as we have ever seen and probably will ever see again. I think this is probably the best, and I use the word rivalry in, again, quotation marks, but this is the best rivalry we've seen between two top quality teams for a very long time. And it's comfortably the best we've seen in the Premier League era. But before we all keel over and start going into a fit of shakes, let's park that for now. And just before we wrap up, um, a bit of sad news coming out of the women's team this week because after five years at the club, Janine Becky has decided to leave City to go and play in your homeland, Adam, in America. She made over 50 appearances for City, scored plenty of goals, including the winning penalty in the 2019 Conti Cup final. But most importantly, I think for anyone who follows the women's team, she's a really, really cherished member of that squad. And, and will be sorely missed. Um, I think it was telling actually with the tributes that came out after the announcement, and she, she put a really good tweet out saying, "You know, she's she didn't expect to be in Manchester this long." And I think you know across the men's and women's team, that's a, that's a sort of line a lot of players have said, and, and they've really found home at home in City and home in the in the city itself, in the city of Manchester. And before City played West Ham this weekend, she put a really funny tweet out actually saying that she could now become City's official hype woman. Um, a really great player, you know, an absolute gem. And she's actually joining the team in the city that you're going to be living in shortly, I believe, Adam. So you, you might bump into her whilst you're doing your, doing your weekly shop. Yeah, no, I, and I'm excited. I, I'm definitely going to go out to Providence Park and see her play because she was such a great player at City. And uh, the Portland Thorns are a very well-supported, uh, very prestigious team. So uh, exciting times for me, at least. Yeah, and just a little bit on, on your personal news, your fantastic personal news. Changing cities, changing coasts. So uh in terms of our time difference, it's gonna it's gonna cause a few headaches and a few early mornings or late nights. But uh yeah, congratulations on that. I'm sure you're absolutely buzzing to get out there. I am buzzing, although the World Cup, I think we were talking about this before uh before we hit record. <laughs> I think the World Cup schedule in my new city will be like 3 a.m. is the early kickoff, 6 a.m. is the midday kickoff, and 9 a.m. is the late <laughs> kickoff. So yeah. so, yeah, I mean, look, covering European football for a living on the on the West Coast of America is going to be rough for my sleep schedule, but what can you say? <laughs> yeah, indeed, indeed. 9 a.m. is the late kickoff. doesn't sound nice. It's just an oxymoron, really, yeah. isn't it? Um, one last thing on the women's team, if you can... Um, follow the sort of end of the season they're, they're doing fantastically they're pushing for a Champions League place but um, Chloe Kelly returned from an ACL injury after 335 days out injured which is well it's a month short of a year basically and it, it's a fantastic story the way she's got back it was a horrible injury she's a fantastic player and it would be it'd be superb to see her in the England team for the upcoming home Euros in the summer which hopefully gets a few games but 
other than that, I think we've near enough wrapped up everything there is to speak about City in the last sort of seven days or so. So uh, should we do a runner then? Should we get out of there? I have no idea what do a runner means, but I'm happy to follow along <laughs> with you, Amos. Never follow me. That's never a good idea in any walk of life. But um, but yeah, thank you very much for joining us as always. It's been a pleasure. If you haven't already, leave us a rating and a review on whichever podcast platform you listen along on. You can follow us on Twitter. Like I said, get those hot takes in word format. And considering the games that we've got coming up, they are going to be in. They're going to they're going to be plenty in demand, aren't they? You know, we'll, we'll be thrashing them out there as often as possible. And uh, other than that, drop City Report follow for all the all the latest manchester city news and i think the other one is tiktok um plenty to say there but that will do thank you very much for listening i've been amos murphy i've been adam booker until next time see you later see you Make sure you're geared up for Man City's end-of-season running with McDelivery. Great food delivered right to your door. By using McDelivery, you won't miss a moment of City's crucial running, and just like Kevin De Bruyne, they deliver your order exactly where you want it. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. Are you in? At participating restaurants only, 18 and plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 